Hi there, Ohio Matters listeners. This is Seth Richardson. Today's show is going to be about Cliff Rosenberger's resignation, but we actually recorded it before he decided to immediately resign. As such, we just wanted to give you a little bit of warning that there's not going to be any discussion of his actual resignation from Thursday. You can go on cleveland.com and read that. We have a great show still with Columbus reporter Jackie Borchart and Capital Letter reporter Jeremy Peltzer. So, Please give us a listen. Again, um, everything is still pretty relevant, but wanted to give you guys a heads up, and uh, let's go ahead and get to the episode. Welcome to Ohio Matters, the Cleveland.com politics podcast. I'm Seth Richardson. And I'm Andrew Tobias. And thank you for tuning in. We are going to try something a little bit different this week. We'll get to that in just a second. But first, I want to say special thanks to the Cleveland Public Library for making this podcast possible. As always, they provide us with the equipment and actually some of the help today as well to uh, make this podcast possible. So really enjoy our uh, working relationship with the Cleveland Public Library. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast and rate us on your favorite podcast service. We're on uh, iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, just about any one of them that you can think of. It really helps other people see this podcast when you go and you rate it and you subscribe to it. So please do that at your first chance. So today, Andrew and I wanted to do something a little bit differently. We do not have Mary here today, and that's because there has been a lot of breaking news basically over the past week that Andrew and I have really been working on uh, regarding House Speaker Cliff Rosenberger, the FBI investigation into him, and uh, Rosenberger resigning. That's kind of been the big news over the past three, four days of uh, Ohio politics. So instead of having a guest on today and really getting into the nitty-gritty of anybody's past, we wanted to talk about what was relevant in the moment today, and that is this resignation, which really has shocked a lot of the political world. So on Friday, the Dayton Daily News reported that uh, Republican House Speaker Cliff Rosenberger had hired a criminal defense attorney. Now, it turns out from further reporting from you know us and around the state and everybody that he is under an investigation by the FBI. And it centers around this trip that he took to London in 2017 and possible play to pay-to-play schemes that are going on there. Um, you know, without getting too deep in the weeds or anything, there's a lot of other different rumors that are going around that, uh, and you know, reports for that matter, that it's also focused on some of his lavish spending. You know, he he travels a lot. He's been to Iceland. He's been to Italy. He's been to Los Angeles. He's been to Boston. So it, it could have something to do with that. And also some of his lavish spending in Columbus as well. Uh, he rents a condo from a very rich GOP donor, and people really don't know how much he's paying or anything. Um, how far the tendrils go out, we don't really know yet because of the FBI. Yeah, I, th- I think the thing that I feel the most confident about is that they're interested in this trip in August. But as uh, we'll discuss a little bit later, the FBI doesn't normally just get in, in interested in one thing. They're usually looking at a few connected events. And so you can look at some of these other things that Rosenberger's been criticized over. He's been criticized over the spending that he made out of the campaign account for House Republicans. He's been criticized for that condo that you mentioned. There's some other stuff, too. And, you know, there's always rumors that encircle people, especially like in a heated political climate. Just kind of generally uh, that the House Republicans have had some issues that were not necessarily connected, but speak to kind of like, I guess, the larger sort of pressure politically that the uh, leadership there has been under. And then so for this to kind of come out, uh, obviously, it's never good, um, not to speak of 
Rosenberger's, you know, liberty, his his future, like kind of his personal situation. But politically, um, there's never a good time for it. But especially in an election season like we're in now, it's within the Republican Party for the primary. It's it's with the Democrats in November, and it's just a total mess. Yeah, if you would have told me last week, um, we're recording this on Thursday, just so everybody knows. If you'd have told me the Thursday before this that the House Speaker was going to be announcing his resignation effective May first. I, I probably would have, I just wouldn't have believed you that there's nothing that would have made me believe that, I don't think. And for this to happen so quickly, I mean, in the matter of really four or five days, is picked up and uh, just every, like, not everything's even unfolded yet. It's, you know, we talk about this a little bit uh, once we get to the interview that we did with our guest today about how this is a quick turnaround and half life kind of deal. I mean, normally when you have a scandal, it dogs you, you know, it dogs you for a little bit. That's the way it goes. And that wasn't the case with this. This was really quick. It was, hey, I hired an attorney, and oh, by the way, now I'm resigning effective May 1st. And it's it's been really fascinating to see where each of the factions go, especially as election season is coming up. I mean, maybe people who normally would have supported the speaker in this situation aren't because of the electoral implications. So this week to kind of address everything that's going on because this has been easily the biggest story in Ohio politics for, you know, several days now, we decided that Andrew and I were going to talk with uh, Columbus reporters Jeremy Pelzer and Jackie Borchardt by phone. Uh, we've all been covering different facets of this, so we thought that would be a good way to kind of bring everybody in and catch everybody up to speed and yeah, maybe give you something a little bit different on this podcast. Uh, you know, while we do try to focus on more of the deep dive into the history, you know, history is being made as we speak. You know, people are talking about they don't think that a uh, sitting House Speaker has ever resigned quite in this fashion in the history of the state. Yeah, and one more thing that's interesting about this is that Ohio passed term limits, I think in the 1994, somewhere around there, um, but the mid-90s. And ever since then, basically, I mean, you see a lot of legislators kind of swap seats back and forth because basically you can only hold however many terms it is, I think effectively eight years or whatever it is, um, consecutively. So you can always switch the other side. But what that generally has resulted in is every you know eight years or whatever, you have a new le- legislative leadership coming in. So somebody like Cliff Rosenberger, who was in his early 30s when he got elected for this um, position, very influential position, it's kind of like a quick rise. You know, he got a lot early in his life. And then, you know, just so we always talk kind of, or at least I talk about the narrative of this kind of stuff. I mean, so it's a quick rise for this guy politically. You know, last year, I mean, there's talk about him running for state auditor. He's been connected to possibly running for Congress. You know, he's somebody that people felt had a big political future, you know, for having achieved so much, you know, so early on. And then for him to, uh, there's always second acts, but, you know, at this point, like potentially have his career, you know, ended so abruptly. It's it's really shocking. All right, let's go ahead and get to the interview that we did with Jeremy Jackie this week on Ohio Matters. Joining us via phone are Cleveland.com Columbus reporters, Jackie Borchardt and Jeremy Pelzer. Jackie and Jeremy, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much. Great to be here. So we four have really been covering this, you know, kind of since it broke and everything. And uh, we thought it'd be a good idea to have you guys on to just sort of chat with all of us about what's sort of going on. So, uh, you know, to kind of start off with, I guess, Andrew, do you want to sort of start by giving everybody a rundown of what's been happening with Rosenberger since, you know, the revelation came out that he hired the attorney? Yeah, I mean, that story came out on Friday night. The Dayton Daily News broke it and myself and other outlets frantically tried to keep up with it. Um, and really, you know, um, the there was sort of an initial shock that I think that I had and a lot of other people did. And since then, things snowballed really rapidly with 
starting on Friday with Rosenberger basically acknowledging that he'd hired a criminal defense attorney and then uh, not 72 hours later, he announced that he's going to be resigning from office. And so now he's on his way out the door, although some people kind of want him to maybe go out sooner. And I think kind of like, you know, saying that all hell broke loose is like one of those things that reporters say. And it's like, almost hyperbolic, but people say it. Well, I think actually, like, politically speaking, I think this is maybe an example of that happening. But it was it was pretty quick. I think you're right there. I mean, from the time the scandal broke to sort of the resignation, you know, it's got it, this has, like, the shortest half-life ever. I mean, it basically lasted a weekend and then until Tuesday, and that was basically it. Jeremy, we want to know what is, what's the attitude down there? How is everybody feeling, you know, this is the, you know, top guy, arguably in the legislature, but at least in the House, and what are lawmakers sort of thinking? Man, Seth, I'll tell you, um, talking to lawmakers yesterday, it almost seems like, uh, you ever have one of those breakups in a relationship where it's like you wake up the next day, it's like, oh my God, my whole life is different. It was sort of like that look in their eyes. Whereas like, uh, you know, four days ago, everything was fine, but now everything is just upside down, topsy-turvy. Uh, everyone is just really dazed and, uh, uh, sort of stunned by this, and especially how quickly it happened. Is there a um, do, you, do you get a sense for who is going to be the next speaker? I mean, Kirk Schuring right now is sort of filling in. Um, has there been any discussion about who might actually be the next speaker? So when I talk to just about everyone, they all say it's it's too soon to tell, and we don't know, and we haven't had that discussion. Uh, I've heard a couple of people mentioned uh, that just floated as uh, potential people. Uh, one is uh, Bob Cup, uh, who's, of course, a former Supreme Court justice. He's now a committee chair. And the other is uh, Rick Carpegna. Uh, Carpegna, I can never get his name pronounced right, but uh, he is uh, from North Suburban Columbus. Um, of course, he's, this is all speculation. They're not going to, they don't even know when they're going to have the election to elect someone to finish out the rest of uh, Rosenberger's term. That's probably going to come sometime in May. But uh, it's it's too early to tell right now. Jeremy, uh, Cliff Rosenberger's initial statement on this when news of the investigation broke was something like, politics is a pretty dirty place right now. And I know a lot of people, uh, myself included, when they first heard about this, kind of were filtering it through the uh, I guess we always call it heated, whatever the word is, uh, the politics of the speaker's race. Obviously, for the people listening, we had Larry Householder, who's a former speaker, his current state representative, was one of the people looking to succeed Rosenberger. The other person uh, was uh, Ryan Smith, who's kind of like, I don't know that Rosenberger's endorsed him per se, but basically Rosenberger's chosen successor. And I think the initial take was that, you know, the reason why people thought that this had the pers- or went through the prism of politics was that maybe wounding Rosenberger helped Householder. And I, th- I thought you had something interesting to say about maybe that why that not be the case. Can you kind of talk a little bit, Jeremy, about how people see this playing politically? So, first of all, it's worth noting that Rosenberger is commonly assumed to be on, uh, on the side of Brian Smith to become the next speaker. And with that said, uh, there is a couple of arguments whether that's good or bad now that Rosenberger is gone, whether that's good or bad for Brian Smith. The argument for Ryan Smith is that uh, now that Rosenberger is gone amid questions about an FBI scandal, that there will be more leakery about electing the, the replacement as someone who also had an FBI inquiry in his past. 
so on some of what I'm hearing is that yeah, lawmakers are reluctant to bring in householder because you know they just uh, got rid of uh, Rosenberger. And but on the other hand, of course, that this is all about fundraising too. And obviously, if you have the speaker in the corner, if you're Ryan Smith, you, that suddenly your most powerful ally is gone, and your ability to raise money and uh, influence uh, this election is surely diminished. Did you know that one in six Northeast Ohioans struggle with hunger? Unexpected expenses, prescription costs, and rising heat costs are all things that can prevent people from being able to put food on the table, and they are forced to make difficult decisions that often result in hunger. But you can help with the Greater Cleveland Food Bank. Each dollar that you donate to the Harvest for Hunger campaign will result in four meals. Donate today by visiting harvestforhunger.org. Help feed your neighbors. Cleveland.com is a sponsor of the Greater Cleveland Food Bank's Harvest for Hunger campaign. Do you get Capital Letter? It's the must-have daily read for statehouse happenings. Five mornings a week, Cleveland.com provides a daily intelligence briefing filled with succinct, timely information. It's perfect for people, businesses, and organizations that care about decisions made by lawmakers, the governor, and all of state government. From breaking news to rumblings in the rotunda, if you're not getting Capital Letter, you're missing out. For more information, visit cleveland.com slash capital letter. That's cleveland.com slash C-A-P-I-T-O-L-L-E-T-T-E-R. Before we get into the broader political implications, I do want to turn to Jackie for just a moment because what this whole case seems to be pointing to is um, you know, some kind of bad acting on a trip to London between payday lenders and Cliff Rosenberger. We don't have all the details yet, but there's tons of rumors about what exactly is going on. And I think at the center of it is this payday lending legislation. Jackie, can you give us a bit of a rundown on, you know, what is the legislation and sort of the progression of it through the legislature under Rosenberger? Sure. So 10 years ago, actually, uh, lawmakers, Republicans and Democrats came together and passed a bill that was intended to crack down on the payday loan industry, these short-term loans where, um, you know, they charge extremely high interest rates, uh, but they the loan is due every two weeks. So um, what happens is people cannot uh, usually afford to pay back their loan at the first uh, due date. And so they have to roll it into a new loan, and the interest just keeps building, and, and they tack on these fees. Um, so the, the, the bill was supposed to do that. Uh, it got signed in the law. The payday lending industry, which is pretty uh, you know, deep-pocketed, mounted a referendum on, on it and spent millions of dollars trying to convince voters to, to reject the law. And voters overwhelmingly upheld the law. Um, but what happened is immediately these lenders found a loophole where they could register under different parts of the law of, of state law uh, and and just continue operating business as usual. And since then, there's been um, a lot of talk of, of how to do this, how to address this. Um, it was tied up in the Supreme Court for a few years. The Supreme Court finally ruled that um, you know they, that the lenders were fine to to use this, and that was a huge loophole. And you know maybe the lawmakers intended to create this loophole, maybe not. Um, but if that if that wasn't the case, then they should close it. Uh, and since that ruling, there's been a lot of talk of what should happen. Meanwhile, uh, you know, the payday lenders have been working their long long established network at the state house to try to prevent legislation 
from coming uh, to fruition. And last uh, March, March 2017, we actually did have a bill come out um, sponsored by Representative uh, Kyle Kaler of Springfield. He's a Republican. And Michael Ashford of, of Toledo. He's a Democrat. And, of course, with both chambers controlled by Republicans, you got to have a Republican kind of leading the effort for it to go anywhere. Um, but even despite that uh, support, Republican support, it, it hasn't gone anywhere. Uh, it, it didn't have any hearings scheduled last year. Um, there was some talk that, uh, you know, we needed to get people together on all sides of the issue behind the scenes and, and work things out, work out a compromise. And so there was that work was kind of going on last year in the background. Uh, originally, Representative Bill Sites was leading that effort. Um, and then at one point, uh, that got turned over to uh, Representative Kirk Stirring, who uh, was Rosenberger's number two. Now he's filling in for Rosenberger. And um, he's, he's kind of done a lot of the heavier lift. So, you know, we've got this, this London trip that happened in, in August and uh, this bill that would tighten up, that would close the loophole, essentially. It would force all the lenders to register under the laws they were intended to do back in 2008. Uh, it would cap interest rates. It would uh, cap fees. Um, you know, Ohio, basically, compared to other states that have enacted, enacted similar regulations, uh, we have some of the highest rates in the country, effective in annual percentage rates in the country. Uh, the Pew Terrible Trust has researched this, and, and they found that on average, it's like, you know, 591% APR on one of these loans. Uh, and this also includes the auto title uh, loan lending industry, uh, which has kind of sprouted up in the last 10 years. And that's, you know, it's basically the same thing, except that you are offering your, your car title as collateral on the loan. So it's a, little, it's a lot more risk, you know, the risk is is pretty pretty bad, especially if you're someone who is having a hard time repaying a loan and the car is maybe your, the only way to get to work or, or and, and, you know, do your medical appointments and, you know, every a car is, is really important for all sorts of reasons. Um, so anyway, this House Bill 123 would also affect the title, the auto title loan industry. And it, nothing happened on it. Uh, earlier this year, um, you know, leadership indicated that they, they were getting closer in these kind of behind-the-scenes talks, um, but yet really no action on the bill. And then uh, last, last at the end of last week, uh, Representative Kaler, the, the bill sponsor, said that he was ready to, to put forth an amendment, and uh, they were planning all of a sudden to amend the bill, on Wednesday and, and pass, maybe pass it out to the floor as, as early as Wednesday. Did the scandal breaking kind of put the kibosh on that? I mean, is it, you know, slowed down now again? Yeah, it, you know, it, it did not pass uh, on Wednesday. It did not even get amended. Uh, Representative Keeler presented his amendment, and uh, immediately the uh, leaders of the panel said, we're not going to vote on this today. We're not even going to vote to include it in the bill. Uh, you know, it's a 27-page amendment. It's a substantial change from the previous version. We need some time to, to digest it, was the word that they used. And, you know, some of the supporters of reform are saying, wait a minute, you know, you all the time lawmakers do this where they get a big chunk of new legislation, new changes, and they approve them and send it out to the floor the same day. Uh, that, that does happen. Uh, I wouldn't say all the time, but it happens with enough frequency that, 
to say that you need time to digest this now it, it is a little, you know, people are a little skeptical of the motivation. Um, however, uh, you know, it's not a, it's not over yet. And, and Representative Schering did say that he plans, he hopes that it's on the floor uh, in mid-May when they come back. Uh, they're taking a little break now, which is probably pretty good, you know, it's a good idea for, for everyone, uh, given the events of this week. But when they come back in mid-May, he expects it to, to be up for a vote then. What it looks like, who knows? Um, you know, typically, if the bill sponsor wants to amend his own bill, the committee is amenable to it and and will will do that and adopt the amendment and work off that amendment. And so it was uh, unexpected that they, they didn't even take those proposed changes uh, and make them part of the bill. You know, at the center of all of this is a guy named Steve Diamond. He's a lobbyist, and he keeps coming up in all of these stories, and all of these sources keep pointing to him. He's been completely mum during this entire time. Is Does he have any kind of profile down there that you guys have seen? I mean, is he a well-known guy, or did his name sort of just crop up with this story? I don't know him personally, but I, he, this isn't, <laughs> he didn't just show up. He obviously has a presence down here, and um, yeah, he's a fairly well-known lobbyist down here. Yeah, I would I would add that he I mean he represents he, uh, several interests. It's not like he's a, a dedicated payday loan industry lobbyist. I think you know, some of his other clients include the, the Motion Picture Association of America, um, the Southeastern Ohio Oil and Gas Association. So uh, you know he's not necessarily uh, you know hired by one uh, one industry or one company. So this isn't the first time uh, that the FBI has sniffed around the Ohio State State House. Uh, there maybe it's kind of few and far between. But Jackie, how does maybe what are some recent examples that might shed some light on how they operate when it comes to stuff like this? Yeah, it is. Uh, we do have some recent examples, unfortunately, I guess, uh, of of some of the FBI public corruption unit in Columbus looking at lawmakers. Uh, in 2012, Carl Weddington, he was a, a state Democratic state rep from Columbus. He was uh, arrested and uh, charged. He served uh, about, I think, about three years. Um, but he was charged and convicted of, of bribery, first believed to be the first uh, sitting lawmaker convicted of bribery in 100 years. Uh, extremely rare. And he got about three years and uh, pleaded guilty in an exchange and got kind of a, a nice deal, I guess, with the prosecutor uh, in exchange for cooperation for future uh, investigations. And actually later in the year, uh, Clayton Lucky, a Democratic representative from Dayton, uh, was was charged and he was charged with, you know, misuse of, uh, of political uh, campaign uh, contributions, fraud, uh, forgery. I mean, it was a, a litany of, of charges against him. And, you know, Weddington's charges actually stem from uh, connection with the payday loan industry. Uh, he had, uh, it began actually with a, a 2010 dispatch story that um, mentioned that Weddington, who at the time was the leader mm-hmm. of the Ohio Legislative Black Caucus, had solicited a contribution um, from uh, the Center of Responsive, for Responsive Lending, uh, in order to meet with them to talk about possible payday legislation. And at that point, the uh, FBI uh, dispatched some, some undercover agents posing as lobbyists 
to to kind of see how far he would go in in soliciting uh, contributions, and, and you know he took uh, they, they he took free trips to to California uh, to meet with lobbyists posing as as uh, representatives of the wine industry, and he agreed to introduce the bill, and he didn't report any of this on his campaign finance uh, report. Um, but that's a, that thing was eventually what they they charged him with, but it. it it was the final event in a pattern of behavior. I mean, typically, you know, the FBI is not going to, you know, waste their time on an isolated mm-hmm. incident. Usually, mm-hmm. uh, as with Weddington as it was with Lucky, it's a pattern of behavior. Maybe one thing that they get him for in the end, um, but they're looking for, uh, you know, a pattern of behavior, um, cooperation, uh, always looking to, you know, expand the scope of the investigation. Uh, so I was not surprised to see Rosenberger actually resign so quickly, um, given the cloud of investigation. Because if 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 it's not on him specifically, um, or even if it is, and if it's a bigger thing that they're trying to get at, um, that would be certainly part of of cooperating uh, with the FBI. Would be agreeing to to step down. It should be worth noting too that Rosenberger has denied absolutely denied any wrongdoing. Yeah, it seems like uh, this is going to have to play out legally, you know, with whatever the FBI is doing. So I want to turn to some of the politics and some of the optics of everything that's going on. And, um, you know, actually, Andrew, I think you kind of had one of the one of the first stories on this about Attorney General Mike DeWine actually calling Rosenberger on Friday, um, saying that if anything was true, then he should probably resign. And I'm wondering just kind of what, what what is everybody's take on this? I mean, the Democrats have really made hay out of it. We've seen... Um, not even just the Democrats, Mary Taylor kind of coming out today really strong on it. Uh, you know, Rich Cordray really going after him for it. And I'm wondering what's everybody's sort of take on, you know, making this call basically immediately after the story that Rosenberger had hired an attorney broke. I think, you know, for the Democrats, uh, it's something where this is clearly a political gift for them and they don't know what's inside, I guess, after they open it or whatever you want to do to continue that metaphor. So, it's not surprising to see Cordray, especially, who's trying to, uh, he's kind of like, I guess, the establishment candidate in that primary, but I think it fits into his persona from the Consumer uh, Finance Protection Bureau, kind of saying, like, I'm after the bad guys in the, in big in, in, like in big industry, in big payday lending, for example, I think there's a really obvious synergy for kind of what his story is. And so I'm not sure exactly uh, what... Um, the full implications are of, of DeWine calling Cliff Rosenberger when this thing broke. I mean, it makes sense if I'm the guy who wants to represent the top of the ticket, Rosenberger endorsed me, I know him. I mean, I would call him and say, hey, what's up? I mean, maybe I'm not thinking through all the angles uh, from being a law enforcement official and all, but I think there is a plausible explanation on a personal level. But that being said, um, especially for somebody like Rich Cordray, who looks who wants to have uh, a foothold to kind of help take advantage of his, of his biography, to just try out different attacks on it. And, and clearly, and again, like, no duh that having your opponent's party being investigated or being connected to an FBI probe is just never a good thing. So, um, you know, Mary Taylor, similarly, I think she uh, is looking for any opportunity that she can have in the Republican primary, and she basically needs some help. So, you know, I, I know always with her, the problem is that she also herself is part of the Republican administration. So how, how apart from it are you truly? But in this case, her opponent 
endorsed by this guy under investigation. They had a conversation. I think she's trying to insinuate that there's something more there. So I guess, you know, whether that takes, again, it goes back to how this investigation plays out and what the facts are. And just look back to, to 2006. Uh, you know, we talked about Larry Houtzholder earlier. He's vying to be the next House Speaker. He left, uh, you know, as Speaker under the cloud of an FBI investigation, and that was cited as a factor in uh, the 2006 election, two years after he left, uh, as, as you know, one reason why the GOP lost, uh, you know, nearly every statewide executive office except for for Auditor, which Mr. Taylor had won. I think now, it's a- I don't have any special insight into, you know, Mike DeWan's thinking, but I'll, personally, when I heard that he made that phone call, my first thought was, oh, he is, you know, covering his butt politically because Rosenberger endorsed him, you know, whether that's true or not, that was my thought, and I'm sure that's the thought of a lot of other people. But yeah, like... Um- uh, regarding 2006, the big scandal there was CoinGate, and we won't go through chapter and verse what that's all about. You can, you know, Google it. But uh, the Democrats had kind of hoped that some of the challenges that ECOT, the uh, online school that recently had to shut down after the state clawed back a bunch of money that they said that they had paid out for students who weren't actually taking classes. Um, Democrats had hoped to kind of use that and have that be their CoinGate sort of in continuing the sort of new 2006 parallel. I think that um, that's kind of complicated. It, played out over a bunch of years. It's hard to point to one specific bad guy. Um, in this case, uh, the FBI investigating, I mean, again, it depends how it plays out, but it's, it's obviously really potent, and um, or at least the potential is there for it to be potent. And so, yeah, Democrats are definitely making that parallel and hoping that this will um, help yield similar results for them. I, I think that's 100% right. I mean, ECOT, you know, yeah, it's been dogging some. It's probably worth noting that Dave Yost also called for Cliff Rosenberger to resign, and Steve Dettelbach, the Democrat running against him, has really tried to tie Yost to ECOT. The thing with ECOT is, you know, there's a lot of explaining that gets done with that scandal. Democrats need to say exactly what happened. You know, they 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 have to talk about what exactly ECOT is because not everybody knows what ECOT is. Everybody knows what the FBI is, and everybody knows that an FBI investigation no, isn't the best thing, optically speaking. So it's it's almost, you know, I hate to talk about this in wins and losses or anything, but when we're talking about it politically, it's like asking your parents to give you your Christmas present early, and they actually do it. You know, this is, they're already in a favorable climate coming November, and now this gets dropped on them just a couple of months before the primary. I mean, you know, FBI investigations, they don't usually end very quickly either, if I'm not mistaken. So this seems like something that's probably going to drag out for a while. Yeah, but except, uh, you know, in the legislative races where you would think that this would have the biggest impact because, you know, it's the Speaker of the House, uh, the Democrats I've talked to, they are they're saying, look, we had a plan going in for how to win, and we're not going to, it's too late to change our plan now. So uh, the Democrats I talked to, uh, they're, they're going to wait to see how this plays out, but I wouldn't be surprised if this is not a huge factor in the, a lot of these legislative races come November. They, they have their path to victory, and they're going to do it. Where you're going to see this be much more weaponized is in these uh, Smith Householder Republican House primaries, uh, where... Uh, People are going to be trying to, uh, householder candidates are going to try to tie OROC and Speaker Rosenberger's support to some of these other candidates and make them, as a lot of them already have, make them like disavow or return money. Uh, but I don't see the Democrats, at least on the legislative level, using this as much. 
All right, that's about all the time we have to talk about this. Jackie and Jeremy, thank you so much for joining us, okay? Thanks a lot. Thanks for having us.